0: all provision. Let's pray and let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we do pray for the offering, Lord, that we would be good stewards of what you put into the hands of the leadership here to minister to people, to promote the gospel, Lord, to proclaim the truth of your word. And Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we know that, especially in a text like today, that for so many can be so confusing. And if we don't fully understand it, we can feel condemned. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, you would give us ears to hear, that I pray that no one would leave here confused about what, these, what this text this morning means. And so, Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that the spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. So if you got your outline, it should look familiar. It's been the same outline the last two weeks. We're going to finish this chapter, Lord willing, tonight, by the way, or today, by the way, if we finish this chapter, we'll probably be in Revelation in about a month. I know a lot of you are excited about that, and so am I, looking forward to going through the book of Revelation. The last church I pastored, I was just starting Revelation when I ended up stepping down to minister to my family, and so I need to finish that book because I've never finished it, right? I got to almost there because God wanted me to come here and finish it, amen? All right, so I tell the message, what can we know for sure? You know, we live in a time right now where the world doesn't believe there's, much of the world does not believe there's an absolute truth that everybody questions everything. If you ask them what the truth is, they get offended. Well, guess what? We know the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Amen? But we've also seen in this chapter things that we can know for sure. As born-again believers, we can know for sure. And these things do apply to only those who've given their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never done that. Maybe you've been religious, but you've never surrendered your life to him. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And before this uh, time is up, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to the Lord if you have never done that before. So the first things we can know for sure, we saw two weeks ago, Jesus is God. There's no other God before him, beside him, or after him. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. He's not a God but the one and true and living God, amen? So there's only one God, only one Savior, and Jesus is God, the risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. And we talked at length, and you can go to our website, and you can see right on our website these past messages if you have interest in understanding how we know for sure that Jesus is God. And we saw the testimonies to who Jesus is. Then we, again, this is for born-again believers. We saw last week, You are going to heaven and not only are you going to heaven, but you already have eternal life right now. As soon as you give your life to the Lord, you go from being dead in your trespasses and sins to a new creation in Christ. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He will never leave you nor forsake you, and no one can ever snatch you out of his hand. You know for sure that when you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open up up in the presence of Almighty God. Can I get an amen to that? Then thirdly, God answers prayer. How many of you guys enjoyed the prayer time last week? We're gonna do that more often, okay? It was good to get into groups and pray. she make my Father's house a house of prayer. But God answers prayer. And you can be confident in your prayer life that we have an intercessor. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't pray to saints, we don't pray to Mary, we don't pray to dead people. Amen? We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and God hears our prayers. Now, He hears our prayers, and sometimes He says no. But when He does, it's because it's what is best. Amen? We serve an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. And if you were here on Thursday night, one of the points was, we don't pray for our wants, we pray for His will. It's not what I want, but what is God's will? Because God's will is perfect. God knows what's best for us. We can trust him. We have not because we ask not and ask according to his will with assurance that he heals us. Now this morning, we're going to look at two texts and I want to tell you something. Studying this this week, um, these are some heavy things that if you read them out of context, you're going to think, well, maybe I'm not even saved. Some heavy stuff in here. And so we're going to, hopefully, there'll be clarity by the time you walk out from under this tent this morning. Number one, you are no longer a slave to sin. How many of you guys sinned this week? Okay, all of our hands should be up. We're all sinners saved by grace, but we're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free from sin and death, and we've been, we've been redeemed from the consequences of sin. And as believers, we don't have to sin anymore, but we all do. And I do not believe any of us will ever achieve sinless perfection because we still carry this flesh around. But we're new creations in Christ. And as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. And the way we view sin is completely different than the way we viewed it before. Sin wasn't even sin anymore before you knew the Lord. It was maybe you felt bad about it, but it was something you ran to, something you could enjoy and live in and make a way of life. But as believers, if you've truly been born again, the Holy Spirit's come to live inside of you, and you will never be comfortable in your sin again. Amen? When you sin, are you, not, are you convicted? Anybody's convicted when they sin. See, if your hands on up, you're not saved. We can fix that at the end of service, okay? Because when you're born again, when you sin, it's immediate. There's that conviction that comes. It breaks my heart. Maybe I did, maybe I, what just pick something. Uh, It doesn't matter. Maybe I was prideful and arrogant before, and I could walk around and beat my chest and have an attitude all the time. And now when you do it, you're convicted because we're to walk in humility. Amen. Maybe you could drink or smoke pot before, and it was no big deal. But now as a believer, you get convicted. You recognize this is not something, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. See, he's not keeping us from fun, but he's keeping us from harm, amen? And wants to draw us away from those things that will bring destruction and division. We're to love God and hate sin. We won't be sinless, but we should sin less. Conversion brings conviction, and you can have victory over a life of habitual sin. We'll talk about that. And then lastly, we're going to see this morning, you can know the truth. By the way, we don't just, we know him. We don't just know about Jesus, we know him. We have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The God who spoke and said, light is and light was, He knows us, he loves us, we belong to him. We're called Christians, we're followers of Jesus Christ. Not only do we know the truth, we know him, but he's given us understanding. We look at the world different. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, amen? But as born again believers, we look at the world different and that's why there's such a divide. Back in the days when this letter was written, the Christians were outnumbered massively. There were way more unbelievers, and way more, there was, the Christian church was, you know, in its infancy. Still today, we're outnumbered, but not as bad as they are, but again, when we look at the world, we shouldn't be surprised, because the world does not know him, but we do, and he's given us understanding, and he's revealed himself to us. We know him, and we, again, we know him, and we can know him because he has revealed himself to us. So let's begin there. We're going to pick up there in point number four. You are no longer a slave to sin. Things we can know for sure. We know that Jesus is God. We can know that we're going to heaven. We know that God answers prayer. And we can know that you are no longer a slave to sin. So 1 John chapter 5, we're going to pick up there in verse 16. Get there real quick. 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. So it says there in verse 16, and... Hold on to your hat, because this is going to be a morning where you're going to say what? Here's what it says. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. And I do not say that he should pray about that. Now, did you just read that and go, huh? This is why we exposit scripture and why we need to understand context. Amen? So my prayer is when you walk out of here, that you won't go, huh? You'll go, amen. And you'll go, wow. Amen? Because it's the word of God. So first of all, remember who is, this is writing. John is writing this in a time when the early church that was greatly outnumbered had persecution from the outside and false teachers on the inside. For giving your life to the Lord, you could lose your life. You could be fed to lions. You could be thrown in prison. So when you gave your life to the Lord, you knew you were putting your life on the line. And then the group that he's really writing this to specifically, we've talked about this repeatedly this is our last time in the, in the text. So uh, again, we'll be moving forward, but the, what they were called the Gnostic. Gnostic means knowledge. And they believed they had a divine knowledge that God gave them that nobody else had. And this is how every cult starts. There's always somebody who thinks they've got a special new revelation from God, be it Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church or Buddha or Muhammad. They all think that they had some kind of revelation from God, but it contradicts the truth of God's word. And that's how we know it wasn't from the Lord. Either they made it up or it was from the enemy. Amen? Well, here's what the Gnostics taught. They taught, well, the spirit is good, but the flesh is evil. So if you give your life to Jesus in your spirit, then you can go out and live like the devil and it doesn't matter because the spirit is evil anyway and it's acting according to its own way. And so as long as you give your life to the Lord, you know, you pray the prayer, you get your get out of hell free card, you put it in your wallet and now you can just go live like the devil. Well, imagine the apostle John hearing this. More than likely by this time, he's the only apostle left alive, potentially. We know it's true when we get to Revelation. And so he's responding to that nonsense, He's responding to the fact that the Gnostics said they had this new knowledge no one else had. He's refuting that. And then he's going down this list as we've been going through these verses. So he's going to address this whole mentality that we can give our life to the Lord and live any way we want. And the truth is, if you're born again, you won't want to live that way anymore. You won't want to have that life anymore. you, You will continue to sin, but when you do, you will be grieved. So let's go back and go through this here. If anyone sees his brother, Sinning a sin. So the key to understanding again is context. We know that John is writing. So the so the Gnostics would say, "Well, it's not really sin. You're doing it in your flesh, and it doesn't matter." We're just going to correct that false assumption. He just spent, again, the previous two verses talking about the confidence and compassion we have as believers and can have and should have in prayer that we can come boldly to the throne of grace that he wants us to ask of him to ask anything concerning every detail of life. So if you see a brother sinning, notice he's writing about a brother. That's gonna be important as we move forward. The context of this is it's written to believers. So if you see a brother If you see a brother in sin, this is how we are to respond. What should we do as believers? If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin. You know, to ask, you know, we know to pray, we ask according to his will, in accordance with his desires, and now he's going to give them an example of how we can put That confidence we have that we can come before the throne of grace and we can ask Almighty God anything. He hears our prayers. And so he tells them all about prayer and how God hears us. Now he says, here's how you can put that into action. If you see a brother sinning, if you see someone else that's struggling in their walk with the Lord, another brother or sister in Christ, somebody who knows the Lord, you can intercede on their behalf. The word see there in Greek means to see, to perceive with your own eyes, to know by understanding. So here's one of the things that can happen in the church. I don't know that I've seen a lot of it here, but people can use prayer request as a gossip hotline. Did you hear about so-and-so a church? You just need, oh, you got to pray for this brother. I'm just sharing this as a prayer request. And then that person says, tells that to 15 more people. And notice he says, if you see your brother sinning, Not if you hear about it 57 places away and it's been shared, you know, down the line 37 times. Matthew 18 says if you see your brother or sister sinning, you go to that person one-on-one. If your brother sinned against you and you come and you sit down across from them, you don't tell everybody else because that's what the body of Christ does. See, our heart is not to, uh, again, shame somebody, but to restore somebody. Amen? We want to restore them. You've heard me say it many times, Christians don't stab each other in the back, we stab each other in the front. And what I mean by that is that we come and we bring the word of God. And I would hope, you know, if I saw, if you saw me or if I saw you, we would love each other enough to say, hey, bro, what's going on? How are you doing? I've seen this. It's concerning. Can I pray with you? How can I minister to you? Tell me what's going on in your life. And so, to see there is to perceive with the eyes, to know by understanding. Again, notice it says his brother, a fellow born again believer, a professing Christian. So we know that God answers prayer. Here's how we pray for those that know the Lord. Now, notice it says sinning a sin. The word those are two different words actually in the original language. The word sinning there means to miss the mark. It's the archery term you've heard me talk about. What is sin? That there's a bullseye and the sin, it's it's an archery term, the sin, sin is the distance between where the arrow lands and the bullseye. So that's called the sin distance. So for all of us, some people think they're doing okay because they think the target is everyone else. And they think that God grades on a curve and I'm closer to the bullseye than Hitler, so I'm probably okay. But the reality is that the bullseye is Jesus. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God, amen? So we're all sinners, whether we miss it by a foot or a mile or a a galaxy, which is probably closer for all of us, amen? So we've all missed it, we've all fallen short, and that word sinning there, someone who's wandering from the path, it means that as well, is falling short, has gotten off track. So if you see a brother who's gotten off track, who's walked away from the Lord, who's struggling, who's fallen away. And it's amazing how often those come in divine appointments and it won't necessarily come at church. Maybe it's somebody you were in fellowship with. One that always comes to mind when I think of this, I would never go to down, I didn't go to downtown Santa Cruz very often, but I was in downtown Santa Cruz and I think I might've been going to a movie, but I don't even remember why, but I'm walking down this, I'm walking down this pathway and I see this guy coming, a guy and a gal coming and they're, kind of kissing as they're walking, and I'm just trying to make sure that I don't bump into them. And all of a sudden, I realize it's a guy from my church, and that's not his wife. And he's running into his pastor. And I'll never forget the look on his face when he looked up. I said, hey, what's up, bro? He looks at me. Uh, I thought he was going to have a stroke. But here's the reality I'm just a man like anybody else. Every time we sin, God sees it. Amen? But there's a verse in the Bible that says, your sin will surely find you out. And so you know me because I'm so, I'm so shy and timid, but I just said to him, so how are your wife and your three kids doing, bro? How are they doing? How's things going at home? That turned into a conversation in my office. It turned into him and his wife Coming and then, then being back in fellowship, and God restores that, amen? amen? But the point is that when we see each other going off, you'll, and I'll never use his name, and no one else has ever known about it but me and him, you know, because Hebrews, we, we talked about it, and, and there was a response, amen? So when you see someone sinning, it's not a time to gossip. It's not a time to tell everybody else. It's just a time to say, look, man, I love you, bro. What's going on? Let me pray for you. How can I encourage you? Let me remind you of who you are in Christ. So you see someone who's falling short. So when you see, again, when he's sinning, when you see him sinning, it says, then his brother sinning, a sin. Now the word sin there speaks of man's depravity. It's actually the word pornea, where we get the word pornography, It's something where your flesh takes over. Now, we love to think everybody else does that. But how many of you, anytime in your life, have allowed yourself to succumb to a fleshly desire when you knew before you even got anywhere near it, the Holy Spirit was convicting you, he was putting up stop signs, you ran through it and did it anyway? Anybody besides me? If your hand's not up, you're fooling yourself. Can I get an amen to that? So the depravity of man, there's, you know, when someone sins a sin, when someone is, is off track and their life is caught up in something that has drawn them away from the Lord, they're walking in depravity. They knew the action they were about to take. Again, the Holy Spirit was convicting them and they chose to do it anyway. And again, it's a picture of, act, of someone acting according to the old nature. So these words together in the Greek tense speaks of someone who has made a conscious choice to give into his fleshly desire and is in this act presently. Here's what that means. In the text, it literally means someone who is sinning a sin. They are actively involved in this behavior and it's continuing. They have not repented of it. They've not asked for forgiveness for it. They're walking in it and they're continuing down that path. So you see this person, it's still something going on in their life, and this is how we should respond. Now, here's what we need to learn as the church. When God forgives somebody, what does the Bible say? Separates their sin from what? As far as the east is from the west. Sometimes we will Someone will go through something. We'll know about it. We'll be with them. They'll ask for forgiveness. We'll give it to them. We'll give them the forgiveness. We know that God's forgiven them. And then five months later, we'll bring it up again when we're mad at them. Or we'll remember it. Well, that's not what the Lord does. And if the Lord's forgiven us, if the Lord's forgiven them, how dare we not? Can I get an amen to that? See, he's a loving, gracious, merciful, and a forgiving God. And one of the things I love about being a pastor, I do kind of get amnesia. I'll forget. Someone will come to me and say, well, I struggled with this three years ago. And I'm, you did? Because I kind of forget. And I think it's good. Amen? I don't need to keep all that in mind. God's forgiven. God's separated. I don't need to keep, you know, account of everyone else. I got enough problem keeping account of me. How about you? I need to take care of my own walk. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else, that's my heart, and I, and I fall short of that. But that's my heart, and that's my desire. So if you see someone sinning a sin, someone who is, again, giving themselves over, and they're still in, involved in it, they haven't walked away from it. It's something that's present in their life, not six months ago, not three years ago, not 20 years ago, right now. And because of that, as believers, we need to, again, love them enough interact. So you come to see and know and understand that a fellow professing Christian has wandered from the path of righteous obedience, has given in to, to his or her fleshly desires, and is presently in that state of sin and rebellion against God. What should we do? How are we to reach them? Such a person, a brother or sister in Christ, what would God have you do? And here's what it says, if you read on, does not, again, lead, a sin that does not lead to death he will ask. The word in Greek there means to ask, to beg, to call for, to desire, to require. When a fellow believer wanders from the path of obedience, gives into the flesh, is in a state of rebellion, again, not a momentary burst of anger, because we've all had that, but if we quickly repent, it's been forgiven but it's someone who's continuing to walk down that path. Our response should be, again, not to tell everyone else in gossip, not to get puffed up and self-righteous and look down upon them, but to ask. The word literally there means to intercede with God on behalf of our wayward brother or sister in Christ. The first thing we do before anything else is pray. The first thing we do when we see somebody getting off track is not tell 50 people, or necessarily go confront them, the first thing we should do is ask of God. We should pray. Again, the context, he just talked about prayer. And we should come before the Lord and intercede on their behalf. Lord, I don't know everything that's going on in this person's life, but this is what I've seen. It's very evident. Oh Lord, please, please soften their hearts. Draw them back unto yourself. Lord, if you want me to be involved, please let me know. But Lord, I'm gonna just pray first. By the way, have you you ever noticed that the people you pray for the most are the people you love the most. And well, you know what happens? When, as you pray for people, you tend to love them more. You tend to become more burdened for them as you pray for them. And so he's telling him before you get on your high horse, before you become self-righteous, before you tell 57 other people, before you, know, you again, feel like you're the, you're, you know, you're the Holy Spirit in their life, just pray. Let me take this to the Lord. And again, but ask to intercede with God on behalf of the wayward brother or sister in Christ. So John's envisioning a spiritually mature person who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit as an in tune with the will of God, having spent a great deal of time in the word of God when seeing a brother caught up in sinful fleshly behavior, doesn't go out and gossip, doesn't tell others, again, again, sometimes described as a prayer request, not rejoicing as it makes them feel more righteous. Uh, you know, when someone else is caught in sin or someone is struggling, what they should see from us is compassion, grace, not condoning the sin. Let me make that clear, amen? Not saying that sin's okay, not making excuses for it, loving them enough to come to them, but having compassion, One of my many favorite Pastor Chuck stories, Pastor Chuck Smith was uh, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. God used him mightily. And he shared this story at a bunch of pastors' conferences. Doesn't use any names. I think it's fine. But he said there was a guy in his church in Costa Mesa many, many years ago who he found out he had left his wife for another woman. And Pastor Chuck was shocked. He'd known the man for many years. He knew the husband and wife for many years. And so he found out that he had moved in with this other woman. He got the address to where they lived. He went over to the house. He knocked on the door. When the guy opened the door, there stood his pastor. Pastor Chuck walked in and sat on his sofa and just started weeping. And he just sat there for, I don't know how long, for a length of time, and all he did was weep. Never said a word. Couldn't get anything out. Got up, went out, got back in his car and drove back to the church. The following Sunday, that man was back in church with his wife. God restored their marriage. See, it's not even necessarily that we have to go in and, no, sometimes we do. Sometimes we have to, you know, like this man I met on the street, bro, how's things with your wife, bro? You know, what's going on? And being able to have that conversation and exhort them and encourage them. But, you know, I think what really needs to happen is they just need to see that we love them and we know that they're outside of God's will and we just want to see them back where they belong. Can I get an amen to that? And that's the, you know, we all have people, we all know people that are just the, you know, they're the Holy Spirit police. <laughs> they're just waiting to see you do something so they can jump all over you. And we, and we got to be careful of that. We got to be careful of that. We, we call them, so they're called Pharisees. Amen. You guys don't tithe your mint and We tithe our pepper over here. What are you tithing? You know, and at the same time, you know, take the beam out of your own bro, before you pick the speck out of mine. It's in the Bible for a reason. So look, when we go to people in those circumstances, we're not seeking to destroy them, but to restore them. Amen? And we're not seeking to shame them. They're already going to be ashamed before Almighty God, and God already knows what they're doing. We want to draw them back unto the Lord, to intercede, approaching the throne of grace on their behalf. Again, of our, you know, back in the 70s, we used to call it being backslidden. Dude's a backslider. I'd always, I'd always imagine them on their back with no shirt on, sliding down a mud hill. You know, you're backslidden, Right? And now it's a mentality. But again, there's two types of sin dealt with in this verse. Now, this is where you're going to get confused. It's okay. Sin not leading to death and sin which does lead to death. Anybody want to get up and share what the difference is between those two right now? Okay. Well, first of all, doesn't all sin lead to death? What's the answer to that? Yeah. The wages of sin is? Okay. So the only reason anything on this planet dies is because there was sin in the garden. If, before Adam and Eve sinned, nothing died. Nothing died. Animals didn't die, plants didn't nothing. Why? Because God created it, it was perfect, it was without sin. Once there was sin, everything started dying. The reason that you and I have a limited amount of time in this planet, because we were born into original sin. Amen? So we, we don't live forever. So certainly all sin leads to death. Again, in, in the, that overall term. And while all sin is sin, All sin separates us from a perfect, holy God. And while all sin has consequences, not all sin's consequences are the same. So does God forgive all sin if we ask for forgiveness? What's the answer? If we truly are repentant, God knows your heart. He knows if you're just mumbling words to get away with it. But Lord, he knows if you're coming humbly and broken, he will always, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, if if somebody commits adultery... A man cheats on his wife. He can ask God to forgive him, and God will forgive him. But might he still lose his marriage? What's the answer, ladies? You betcha, right? (laughs) I lose some teeth, too. No, no, I'm just kidding. So God forgives us, but that sin has consequences, amen? Amen. The other consequence may be a sexually transmitted disease, an unwanted pregnancy. Your character's destroyed. Your reputation, if he's a pastor, he's out of ministry. So look, God is faithful to forgive our sin. All sin is sin and all sin needs to be forgiven and all sin needs to be repented of. But but some sin has greater consequences than other sin. And we're going to talk about this as we continue on because not all sin leads to death in the context we're using here. So what's the difference? Sin not leading to death. Sin is produced, Sin that produces conviction that is responded to. And again, God, God's will for us is uh, that we, we pray for the lost to be saved. We pray for those who are caught up in rebellion. And so too, when somebody is sinning, we pray, Lord, they're in rebellion. You see it. And, and again, I pray mostly for my own. How many guys have to, yeah, I want to encourage you with this. It's good to pray at the beginning of the day, because by the time you get to the end of the day, all you're praying about is all the things you have to, forgive, have to ask God forgiveness for. Amen. Lord, forgive me for having, being prideful with that guy. Lord, forgive me for the for this. Lord, and again, that's good. Keep short accounts with God, but it's good to start the day with the Lord. And again, so He's telling them not all, you know. Sin, there are different types of sin, and there are different types of consequences for sin. And let me just tell you this, I'm not going to say I have a corner on the truth in this text this morning, because I read 12 commentators, and I got eight opinions from 12 guys I respect. But I believe this is what it is this morning, but I'm not going to be, you know, jumping up and down adamant about it, but I'm going to tell you what I believe this, this text means, okay? So it says there, he will ask, and he will give him life for those that commit sin, not leading to death. So he's saying for those who are, who are repentant, those who were you come and you speak to them and they immediately in response to it, they repent of the sin. And again, it's a sin that's not leading to death, but there are sins that lead to death. There's a sin that leads to death. And I do not say that he should pray about that. Now that's even harder. He just talked about prayer. Now he's saying, yeah, those sins don't even bother praying, forget it. Is that what it means? We'll talk about that. Okay, so sin leading to death. Again, there's much debate about the meanings of these words. Some would say it speaks of believers whose sinful behavior leads to their death physically. I believe that's what it is. Okay, there's some that would say it's a believer that it leads to their death spiritually. I don't believe that can be the case because once we've been truly born again, no one's going to snatch us out of his hand. Amen? Now, let me give you some examples because you know the best commentary on the Bible? The Bible. Amen? There's no better. So, this heinous sin of chastening and correcting, you know, calls a believer home, lest by their actions they may continue to harm the body of Christ. Here's an example in Scripture. How many of you guys have heard of Nadab and Abihu? Who knows who they are? There's your Bible quiz question. Who knows who they are? Three people. I'm not doing my job up here. Can I get an amen to that? Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron. You guys remember Aaron was Moses' brother. Aaron was the first high priest, right, of the children of Israel. And Nadab and Abihu took uh, a censer with them, put fire into it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which they had been commanded not to do, and then went out... um, they went out from the Lord and the fire devoured them and they died before the Lord. Here's what they did. The Holy of Holies was only for the high priest. He could only enter in to make sacrifice. And there were different requirements for how it was to be done because all of it pointed to Jesus. And these guys tried to approach the presence of God apart from the sacrifice again, that points to Jesus. And it's a picture of someone thinking they can come to God the Father without Jesus. And what did God do? He struck them down dead. He struck them down dead. It says, they offered God something that he hadn't asked for, and this was serious, seeing that they too were priests, and neither must the children of Israel henceforth, it says in Numbers, come near the tabernacle congregation lest they bear sin and die. If you hear that some guys went into the Holy of Holies and they were priests, and you're not a priest, you know, only the high priest can go, and they went in, and they did it the wrong way and dropped dead, you think you might learn a lesson? I'm thinking we don't want to do that. Amen? Now, you might say, well, that's the Old Testament. They disregarded God's clear commands. They did things their own way, and he struck them down dead. Well, in the New Testament, you ever heard of Ananias and Sapphira? Okay. Ananias and Sapphira, the church was brand new, The people began selling their possessions and giving money to the church to help the needy. And Ananias and Sapphira saw that the people that gave everything, that people were kind of enamored with that. or like, whoa, they got a good response. So here's what they did. They decided to go before and say they had sold everything when they really kept some of it back. So they were going to come in like they gave everything, but they're going to hold on to some of it for themselves. Now, their sin is not that they didn't give it all. Their sin is that they lied about it. Their sin is the, the, them being just seeking the praise of men instead of being obedient to the Lord. Well, what happened? Ananias, Sapphira, when they came in, pastor, Day paraphrasing, their question, did you give all? Oh, yeah. Hey, Ananias, he dropped dead. His wife comes in later she's asked the same thing. Yeah, yeah, we gave it all. So see those men over there at the door? It's a little bit of a paraphrase. See those men over at the door? They just drug your husband out. They're coming for you next. Dead. Now, do you think anybody else bringing an offering after that? <laughs> Did anybody else go, yeah, I gave. No, no, I didn't. I, I, don't, I don't even know what percentage. I gave something, but I don't know how much I gave. It, <laughs> I'm just, I gave, but I'm, taking no credit. Matter of fact, I don't even, you don't even have to know that I gave. I just put it down over here and walk out because, right? Now, those are sins leading unto death, aren't they? Those are sins where it's so egregious that God saw it and he took that person's life. Now, I want to say this too. Be very, very careful because this is concerning to me. We'll see somebody who's a born-again believer that dies too soon, and then you'll hear people say, oh, he must have had an egregious sin, and God was correcting it. Well, we know better than that, don't we? Amen? And while that can happen, I don't think that's the case most of the time, but we see examples of it in Scripture. It's an example to all believers. In both Nadab and Abihu, and in Ananias and Sapphira's cases, these were indeed sins leading to death, sins that were a reflection of hardened hearts and a total disregard for God's command. Can a believer go so deep in sin that God calls him home? Maybe. Maybe that person has gotten so far away from the Lord, and it could even be, again, remember he's talking about believers here. Not unbelievers, believers. So can a believer get so far away from the Lord that the Lord just takes him home? Well, clearly this text would say yes. And so that can happen. And again, uh, there's worse things than being taken to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? But especially those who represent the Lord, we need to be careful to make sure that we're not dragging his name down, amen? Pray for the lost to be saved, pray for those in rebellion to be restored. Sins that were a reflection of a hardened heart and a total disregard for God's command. There is a sin leading to death. See, John wrote the context of a brother and it's wrong to see him meaning sin leading to spiritual death you probably meant to sin that led to physical death. And that's what I believe. Now, again, this is Pastor Dave's opinion. Uh, It's rare that I just say that because there are people that believe. I don't believe that because I don't believe that a brother can lose his salvation. Amen. But let me just clue you all in on a good thing. Let's just obey God and not worry about this. Can I get an amen to that? Let's not walk in open rebellion and, sh- and just get in a place where our hearts have gotten hard because something happened in life and it's gotten us to a place where we're so hard-hearted, we're disappointed, something happens that's difficult. You know, I meet Christians sometimes that maybe their spouse left them and they're just mad at God. They're so angry with God. And that leads to other areas where they're just angry with God. And, or, or maybe they go through a tragedy right? someone in their family gets cancer and dies. Something happens and their heart gets hard. Guys, when we're hurting, we need to run to the Lord, not from the Lord. Amen? When we're going through trials and difficulty, we run to Him. We cry out to Him. We want to walk close to Him. We want to be in fellowship with God's people. We don't want to allow our hearts to be hardened. The death came So there's another example real quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says that among the Christians in Corinth, because of their disgraceful conduct at the Lord's Supper, some have died. Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. The death came not as as condoning uh, judgment, but as corrective judgment, not condemning judgment. So they weren't condemning them to death necessarily, but they were bringing correction. And again, if you did something contrary to what the Lord wanted you to do at the Lord's table and somebody dropped dead, by the way, remember the guy walking with the, they're walking with the ark and they put it on, they put it on a cart and it starts to fall. And what did the guy do? He reached out and touched it. What happened to him? Did anybody else touch the cart after that? Anybody else touched in the ark? Did they go back and read Wait a minute. How are we supposed to carry that thing? Oh, poles. We need poles. Bring in the poles, Right. Don't touch it. Okay, yes, Lord. This is how we right? And you know what? That God is a loving, gracious, and merciful God, but sometimes He needs to teach us a lesson. Can I get an amen to that? When we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not again be condemned by the world. And again, here a believer can sin to the point, this is my perspective, where God believes it is just best to take them home, probably because they have some way compromised their testimony so significantly. That they should just come on home to God. And it's certainly presumptuous to think about every, again, every untimely death to think that's the case. And I would never put this on any death myself personally. So there are some who believe the sin unto death is a reference to God's cor- corrective judgment upon rebellious believers, but still others believe it's a sin that ends in spiritual death and eternal separation. Now, There's only one unforgivable sin. Who knows what it is? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you guys are doing better. You didn't do well without Nate Abby. We're coming around. All right. And I get this question a lot. And and if you've been a Christian a long time, you've probably gotten it. And certainly as a pastor, I get it often. Because there are people that are scared to death. They've committed it. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It says this in Matthew 12. Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, we believe this is, so here's what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. I get this question, why did this sin? It's so heinous. I think it's a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I think I'm toast and I'm burdened. I don't know what I'm going to do. Now, let me clue you in. I want to encourage you with this. If you're concerned as to whether or not you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you haven't because those who have aren't even worried about it. See, those who have have rejected Almighty God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us of our sin and he draws us unto salvation, amen? So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject the conviction of sin that comes from the Holy Spirit and the drawing unto salvation to say, I want no part of it, to blaspheme, to walk away, to reject what the Holy Spirit's uh, doing in our lives, try, attempting to, and have nothing to do with him. Re- reject it completely. I just saw something this morning where a young man is reading a Bible outside of a college out loud and people came and took his Bible and tore it into pieces and were kicking it around and they started eating it eating his Bible, and you're just like, there's somebody who needs to get saved. Can I get an amen to that? The Bible says we're to feed on the word of God, but that's not what it means, amen? <laughs> but the point here is that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is where you've hardened your heart so, so seared over your conscience that you have completely rejected all conviction, all drawing of the Holy Spirit. You you blasphemed his name in that way. You you rejected him completely. You want nothing to do with him. And you walk your life and live your life never even considering what the Holy Spirit is drawing unto you. That's the person who's going to spend eternity separated from Almighty God. Amen? Again, have I committed it? Have I done it? It's a common fear, but the truth is, if you committed the unpardonable sin continually rejecting the Holy Spirit, then you don't care whether or not you've committed it. The fact that you do care tells me that you haven't done it. Someone who's concerned that they blasphemed, rejected his name, has not. They're still convicted. Why why would you be concerned? Because you're convicted. Did I do that? I'm convicted. I'm burned. I'm concerned. Now, Now, here's the hard one. Now he says this, and I do not say that he should pray about it. End of verse 16. He just gave us two verses on prayer. We just talked about the fact that God wants us to pray. We just broke up into prayer groups, but don't pay for that; it's too late. No, not we, right? Now, He says, "Or don't pray." Now, pray for those who have so hardened their hearts; they've given themselves over to sin that leads to death. And don't forbid we pray for them. I don't believe that, but it it doesn't come with the same promise when a Christian is being corrected in regard to sin unto death, apparently comes a point where it may be too late for, to pray for restoration, and now it's in God's hands. They may be so far away that it's a, it's a settled issue. Now, we don't know which issues are settled. This is my opinion. Let's pray for everybody. Can I get an amen to that? Let's just pray for them all. And again, if they're in a position where it's settled between them and the Lord, and God's going to, to bring about righteous judgment and call them home then that's between God. But what Predominance of Scripture, if you read all of Scripture, it tells us you make my Father's house a house of prayer. And we need to continue to pray. We need to continue to intercede. And I would rather stand before Almighty God, praying for everybody and a few that maybe I shouldn't have, according to this verse, than using this as an excuse to pick out people we don't pray for anymore and we were wrong. Can I get an amen to that? So let's pray. Again, ask and he will give him life. Not sure where the person is in a rebellion, still not leading, sin leading to death, sin not leading unto death. Let's pray for them all. Matthew 18, approach him. He's beyond prayer. Again, off my prayer. List. My prayer is that we would not wait until it gets to the depths of Nadab and Abihu. It might be that he's using them as an example. Was it too late to pray for Nadab and Abihu? What's the answer? It was too late. You know, the, the husband got drugged out and he says, and you're going out right after him. You, you're too late. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray for them all. Can I get an amen to that? Godly discipline, not for destruction, but restoration. So, there is sin that leads unto death. There is sin that does not lead unto death. All sin is sin. All sin ultimately leads to the death of humanity. But, while all sin is sin, some sin has greater consequences than other sin. Does that make sense? Amen? So that's, I think that's the points being made here more above all else, that while all sin is sin, some sin uh, will have much heavier consequences. Some of that sin will lead into death and destruction on this planet. I do not believe, because he's talking about a brother, that he's talking about eternal separation, but I will say this to you, just so you know, there were some of these people whose commentaries I read who believed that who are people that I respect, but they're also people that believe you can lose your salvation, and I don't believe that. Amen. So I hope that's a little clear. But some of you are going, "That's clear as mud." I don't know what you just said. <laughs> I'm trying to paraphrase it again. Some sin has deeper, heavier consequences. All sin is sin. All sin is wrong. All sin needs to be repented of. Most sin is not leading unto death, but there are some where the consequences do lead to death. Verse seventeen. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. All unrighteousness is sin. One of the greatest definitions of sin in the Bible is anything that is unright in the eyes of God is sin. So who decides what sin is? God. And nobody else. Amen? I don't care if the world legalizes it. Well, it's not against the law. It's against God's law. Amen? In Santa Cruz, I got this a lot, I've told you this. It's, you know, there's a lot, you know, 420, anybody know what 420 is? It's a national holiday in Santa Cruz, but there's a cloud over the whole city on 420 because everybody, I mean, it's it's a massive number of potheads, right? You know, stoners when I was in high school, dopers, whatever, right? And and I'd have people all the time that would come to our church like, hey, bro, so I've got a question, Pastor Dave. I'm like, what's up, bro? What is it? Well, you know, man, pot, like, grows up out of the ground, man, and they just kind of legalized it, so. I'm like, no. But, but it's, you know, man, it's all natural, man. comes out of the ground, bro. I mean, come on, man. Why would God grow it if he didn't want it to? Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not to be under the inner influence of anything but the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? And they give me that line, well, it grows, well, it's legal now. Well, adultery's always been legal. So should we be able to do that? Amen? A lot of sin is legal. Drunkenness, if you do it in your own home, is legal. Should we do that? What's the answer? Because it's not man's law, it's God's law, and all sin is unrighteousness. All unrighteousness is sin. Amen? And I would always follow up with those guys, well, if it grows up out of the ground, if that's your qualification, smoke some uranium or poison oak, and see how that works out. Right? Smoke some mercury. I mean, don't use that as a qualification. That's just stupid. Amen? So it doesn't matter if the world says it's okay. By the way, one man, one woman, that's marriage. Amen? Amen. Bible says it, that settles it. Amen? Well, love wins. True love wins, but that's not love it's eros, it's driven by the flesh, anything outside of that. Not one man and three women, not two men, not two women. Amen? Okay? Is abortion legal? What's the answer? Not as legal as it once was, but it is. Is abortion okay with God? What's the answer? Baby killing. It's murder. So guys, so all unrighteousness is sin, and who determines what is right is God and nobody else. Amen? Amen? So it doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what the country says. It doesn't matter what you think is right. It's what does almighty God say is right. Amen? And he's the one who defines sin. The word unrighteousness there is, is a word in Greek that means wrongdoing. John here broadens his earlier definition of sin. In First John 3, 4, he said, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawless. So it's not just... Now, by the way, on top of God's law, we must also obey man's law. Amen? Unless man commands us to do something contrary to God's law. Amen? So are we sinning if we speed on the freeway? What's the answer? Now, now a couple of you didn't raise your hand earlier and go, Oh, yeah, wait a minute, let me... Amen? So God is the one who defines it. It's not just breaking of the law, but any and all wrongdoing. Many times, again, I've heard people say, it's not against the law. What's well, against God's law? And you know what? I love? Here's, I love the Apostle Paul so much, and I'm looking forward to having a coke with him in heaven at some point and picking that guy's brain. But one of the things I love that he says, and this shows how our hearts should be growing as believers. Early in his ministry, what did he say? He said, I'm the least of the apostles. And then when he grew closer to the Lord at the end of his life, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. Why is that? Because the closer we get to the Lord, the more we realize how sinful we are and how desperately we need Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? It's not that person that I've arrived and I don't even sin anymore. That people tell me that. Oh, I've I've achieved sinless perfection. No, you haven't because you are just prideful right now. And that's a sin and a half. Can I get an amen to that? But the point is that as believers, I truly believe that the more we get closer to him, the more grieved we are by sin that we didn't even notice in the past. And the more we want to live a holy and set apart life, and we're not satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives apart from him. So the standard goes beyond the laws of man and conviction. And and I will say this too, along with what the word of God teaches, I also believe it's unrighteous when we do anything the Lord's convicting us not to do. Amen? So I may have a conviction you don't have, and you may have a conviction I don't have. I had a guy get all over me at the, at the, when I was assistant pastor in San Jose because I had a TV in my house. TVs are, you know, they're from the devil. I said, well, it kind of is the window into hell in the corner of your living room. I agree with that. But I like sports. I watch, I watch football games. I like, I like to watch stuff on TV. Oh, I thought you were saved. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> so conviction... Of a, a conviction is when God... So here's a conviction I have, and I've had it for 35 years. I don't drink alcohol at all, and I believe as a pastor, I never should. And I just don't. And you know what? I haven't missed out on anything. Can I get an amen to that? But that's my conviction. But here's what if I got up at church next Sunday. Any of you, any of you wine-bibbers, you're all going to burn in hell because... N- no. Because <laughs> here's what legalism is. Legalism, when I make my conviction something that's necessary for your salvation. Amen? Where if I have, for me, if I I went home this afternoon and drank this much beer, I would be in sin because God's convicted me not to do that. Okay, but that's for me, right? And I need to be obedient to that. And you may have other convictions. I know there's people that have a conviction to homeschool their kids, and they should do that. And for them, they should obey that. But we don't say, well, if you don't homeschool your kids, you're going to hell. That's legalism. Amen? Does that make sense? So it's, let's be faithful to what the Lord convicts us to do, but we don't, you know, make that prerequisite for everyone else's salvation. All unrighteousness is sin. There is a sin leading to death. That's Ananias and Sapphira, and praise God for the rest of the verse, but there, and notice what it says, and it says there is sin that is not leading to death. While all sin is an affront to God and deserving unri- of righteous judgment and the wrath of God, not every sin leads to an immediate physical death, or we'd all be dead. Amen? If he just said everybody who sinned for the next half hour is going to die, we probably wouldn't have enough people to help out at church next week. Amen? Sin is something that we all struggle with. And maybe, again, again, Paul said the closer he got to the Lord, he was the chief of sinners. And again, not every sin does, or we'd all be dead. And while there is sin that accompanied by a hard heart and refusal to repent, again, that leads to death and to disaster. God, in His grace, gives us the opportunity to have our sin dealt with, to have Him pay the price for it in our place. And as we respond, our uh to our sin, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's conviction with brokenness and confession, repentance as believers, our relationship to sin and our response to it should be far different than the world. So when we're convicted, we repent. That's a sign of somebody who's born again. There's conviction. I'm heartbroken when I sin. And you've heard me say this before. I believe spiritual maturity is seen in in the time you sin and the time you repent getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Maybe when you're a new believer, you would sin and it would take a week or whatever. And then now, then it's, a day and then it's an hour, and then it's a minute. For me, it's usually like a nanosecond. I say something, I'm like, Holy Spirit head slap Lord forgive me. Amen. Verse 18. We're gonna finish this either way. So now here we get the we knows. How do I get, where did I get this title? We know. Well, these last verses here, there's three we knows. Here we go. We know that whatever is born of God does not sin. Oh wait a minute. Pastor Dave, I was in mud a little bit about the other thing unto death, but help me out with this. It says here, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Does that trouble anybody in the room? We all said we're sinners, right? He said we know. Again, we see, we perceive, we know. Again, it's it's addressing things that the false teachers. Remember the Gnostics said, sin all you want. Remember the Gnostics? Sin all you want. You've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, the spirit in you is good, you can just live in the flesh the way you want. He's responding to that by saying, we who know, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, the word sin there is a continual action, and it means keeps on sinning habitually. And it literally means doesn't keep on sinning habitually without conviction, amen? So look, when you're born again, and you used to have a sin that... Now, how many of you have had a sin you struggle with, and you've said, Lord, help me, and then you've, you've said, I'm never going to do that again, and then you did it again? Okay. Well, that's habitual, isn't it? Habitual sin is where we've turned ourselves over it. It says in John, in John 1, uh, 1 John 3, 6, whoever abides in him and does not sin, whoever sins has not seen him or known him. Again, the idea is that of a continual sinning as a way of life. It defines who you are. This is the lifestyle that I've chosen. I know it's sinful and contrary to the word of God, but I'm gonna do it anyway, and I'm not gonna respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it's speaking of. People will ask me, and and, and look, we love everybody. Can I we love everybody, right? We want to see everybody saved. But someone will come, and I've got a couple coworkers that I love and care about and talk to. They're living openly homosexual lifestyles, and they're trying to say they're Christians and say, "Yeah, well, I don't care, but because this is how I was born and this is the life I'm going to live, and I'm going to live it. And yeah, you know, I, I don't feel convicted about it, and I'm just going to walk in, and this defines me. Well, I don't want to be that person. Amen. And there's other things like that where where our life doesn't change. There's been no change. There's been no salvation. You've heard me say it. If if, if uh, you know, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. And so he's talking about sin that defines the way of life, the life that you live. He says, but he who is born of God, has been born of God, keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, I like, this is one time in the, the uh, New King James where I like the translations I see elsewhere better. See, first, let me just finish off that other point. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you've been born again, you will be tempted. You will sin at times, but when you sin, you will be grieved and you will not be defined by a habitual sin that, that controls your life, that becomes the, the, the thing that you're defined by and you continue to walk in it without conviction and without any repentance. And that's what that means. But then he says here, he, it says, those who are born of God keeps himself. If you look in your margin, it'll probably give you a note that in other translations, it's not himself, it's him. And I like that better. Here's what it says. Let me repeat it. He who has been born of God keeps him and the wicked one doesn't touch him. It's not me keeping the wicked one from not touching me. It's the Lord who keeps the wicked one from not touching me. Amen? Because we have him. By the way, where does the Holy Spirit dwell right now? Where? Inside of us. This is why Christians cannot be demon possessed. Amen? All people say, well, yeah, you know, Christians can be demon possessed. No, because the Holy Spirit is not going to be unequally yoked with the devil inside of you. Can I get an amen? amen. The demons cannot possess you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now, we can be attacked by the demonic, we can be maybe even oppressed, but we're not going to be demon-possessed. And by the way, too often we give the devil too much credit because our God is so much greater than him. Amen? And, every, and most of the time, it's just plain stinking us. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Lady asked me to pray for her to help her with a demon of chocolate. I said, I just think you like chocolate. I don't think that... I don't think the devil's wasting his time on that. But we keep ourselves. We attend to carefully. We take care and guard what he, God has given us and who we are in Him. And we hang on to Him, keeping, keeping ourselves from sin by spending time in His presence. I found the closer I get to the Lord, the more I love Him and the more I hate sin. Amen? The, the, the closer we are to the Lord, sin is the thing he had to die for. Sin separates us from him. I don't want to be separated from him. So I love God and I, want, and I hate my sin more. It says this in First John 5, 18 in the NAS, NASB says, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who has born of, of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. He's the one that keeps us. Because if I had to keep myself, I don't think I could do it. Amen. We're protected. John 12, 10 says, That's my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one will pluck them out of my father's hand. Notice this and the wicked one does not touch him. Do you know that Satan can't do anything to you in God, unless God allows it? Did you know that? You can have a long conversation with Job about that when you get to heaven. Amen? And if the Lord Lord allows it, he's going to allow it to ultimately bring about his glory and to grow us spiritually. Amen? And so we know that, again, devil can't make me do anything. Amen? Flip Wilson was wrong. Devil made me do it. He can't make you do anything. Does not touch. And the word touch there means to grasp, adhere, cling, lay hold of. It's the same word where where Jesus said to Mary, stop clinging on to me. Satan cannot grab a hold of you. He cannot. The Lord won't allow it. And the Lord, again, will not allow him to touch us in that way. He cannot attach himself or lay a hold of one who's been born again. And again, there are times when the, the Lord allows the enemy, again, to, to tempt us, allows the enemy to, again, uh, bring consequences or things upon our life. But it's all ultimately for his glory. Look at verse 19. when you pick this up. We know that we are of God. So we know we know that whoever is born again does not sin, uh, but keeps, himself, keeps him with the Lord near him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So either you know God, or you're under the sway of the wicked one. You're either born again, you're a saint or an ain't, right? You're born again or you're not. You either know the Lord or you don't. So we are being held onto by the Lord and the world is under the sway of the wicked one. And this is why we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? So we know. We're no longer under the sway of the wicked one. We're under, not, no longer under the control of the enemy as Christians. Again, back then, they were a small minority and they too had been set apart unto the Lord. We are of God. We are not of this world. This is not our home. We are of God. Amen? We are followers of the Lord. We belong to him. We've been adopted into his family. Then finally, we know the truth. Look what it says in verse 20 and 21. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now I love this. Let me read that again. Look how many times he says true. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and the eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by him. He's the definition of truth and anything that contradicts who Jesus is and what he has done is a lie. Amen? Amen? He is the truth, and we can know the truth. We don't know about the truth. Well, I just don't know. I don't believe the truth's absolute. It's absolutely true that Jesus Christ is God, amen? And the word to know there, as we finish up here, is gnosko, which means to know by experience. We don't just know he's the truth from a distance. We don't know he's the truth from a history book. We know he's true because we have a relationship with him, because we walk with him. We have fellowship with him. We interact with him. He is the truth. The word understanding there is given. He's given us understanding. Not We didn't earn it. He just gave it to us. When we gave our lives to him, all of a sudden life made sense. How many can testify of that? You gave your life to the Lord and all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, life makes a lot more sense now. Amen? Before you were just wandering around and wondering why things were such a mess and why can't I find peace and why is there no hope and why is it such a train wreck and I don't get it. You give your life to the Lord and all of a sudden, wow, it all makes sense. Because he's the one that gives us understanding, amen? Truth revealed not a special knowledge of the Gnostics, but to every person who has given their life to Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came that we might understand. Jesus came that we would know the truth. Jesus came that we'd have an example to follow, to reveal holy God to sinful man, to restore sinful man back to holy God. We see the personality and character of God when we look at Jesus. We can see the Father when we look at Jesus. We know him. We are in him. We are in the truth. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. He loves you so much, he would rather die than live with Without you. He knows you best. He loves you most. And he has opened your eyes to the truth. He has redeemed you, forgiven you. And you have the promise that when you close your eyes, you will go to heaven and spend eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. We serve a great and an awesome God. Then he says, "And little children, keep yourselves from idols. I love how he throws that in at the end. You know what he's basically saying here? Don't let anything become more important than Jesus. Don't allow anything. Things that are good in your life should not be more important than Jesus. Your career is not more important than Jesus. Uh, Your your kids who you love and praise God for them and raise them up, but you need to love Jesus more. If you love Jesus more, you would be an amazing mom and dad, amen? Don't make anything an idol. Don't put anything before the Lord. So we can know for sure. First, that Jesus is God that we're going to heaven, that God answers prayer, that you are no longer a slave to sin because he's delivered you and given you the Holy Spirit and that you know the truth, that his name is Jesus. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word of God. I pray, Lord, that your words would be sustained and anything that was my opinion, Lord, would fall to the ground. Lord, we know this is not an easy text to understand completely. But Lord, what we do understand is you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by you. We understand that sin is not a good thing. Help us, Lord, to to hate it more and to love you more. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. As you've heard all these promises the last three weeks, or if you're just here today, I want you to know these promises of going to heaven and the fact that Jesus is God and that you're no longer a slave to sin and you know the truth. That's only true if you've given your life to the Lord the bible says if you confess me before men i'll confess you before my father in heaven but if you deny me before men i will deny you before my father in heaven i'm not asking you to join a church just if the lord has been ministering to your heart this morning if the holy spirit has been drawing you unto himself and you recognize you know what maybe i've been going to church a long time maybe it's first time in a long time but i don't know for sure that i'm going to heaven that i've given my life to the lord if that's your desire Again, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If that's your desire, just raise your hand right where you are and I will pray with you right now. Anybody at all, let today be the day of salvation. Anybody at all, don't leave here without him. Love you so much, you would rather die than live without you. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We thank you for the promises we find in your word. We thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you for the promise of eternal life and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said.